Welcome to The Abandoned Carousel, the show where I take a deep dive into history and tell you the stories of the most interesting abandoned amusements and theme parks in the world. I'm your host, Ashley. This week, a bit of a content warning. It's Shark Week. Well, maybe not officially Shark Week, but it's Shark Week here on The Abandoned Carousel. We're talking about the story of Rosie the Shark, once a sidebar in a museum for giant earthworms, and now a hot viral sensation on the internet. Imagine you're an urban explorer. If you're listening to this podcast, then you probably have at least a small, or perhaps a large, interest in urban exploration. Now the footage might be a bit shaky, poking through the remains of a couple of buildings where a small wildlife park once was. Not too much of note, lots of limp paper and half-broken arcade games. You turn a corner, it's a room filled with debris. A giant rectangular box sits in the middle, filled with an opaque green fluid. Huh, that's weird. Hey, there's some arcade games over there. You go and check out the arcade games, and you turn your head back to see what your friends are doing. And now, backlit with the light from the open doorway, you can see it. A shadowy figure suspended in the green fluid a great white shark emerges from the gloom right there next to you. This is the story of Rosie the Shark. In the late 1990s, a large white shark was repeatedly sighted in the waters near Port Lincoln in South Australia. The shark was seen so often that the locals reportedly gave it a nickname, and that nickname was Rosie. In 1998, Rosie was hanging around the tuna farms of the Lucan family for several days. One day, she reportedly chewed through the predator net, which was meant to keep the predators out. And she made her way through into the main tuna net. Rosie the shark reportedly ate quite a bit of tuna before getting tangled in the nets. She was shot by the tuna fishermen and put to a merciful death. This is the beginning of Rosie's story. Around this time, the owners of the nearby Seal Rock Sea Life Center were putting out feelers about purchasing a shark to display at their center, which opened in the spring of 1998. Now, this place was a small ecotourism attraction on Phillip Island, directed at the time by former insurance man Ken Armstrong. It had sort of your standard um, educational displays, a cafe, and a gift shop. The business had goals for a grand second stage of development, however, and they wanted to include an underwater tunnel that would allow visitors to walk all the way to a large fur seal colony offshore in order to view the seals and their natural predator, the sharks. Now, the tunnel was opposed by the government at the time with quite the political fight, and the plans for this grand tunnel and this second stage of development really fell through. The center scope was reduced to, quote, a glorified kiosk where you can get a cup of tea and go to the toilet, end quote. 
Ultimately, the Seal Rocks Sea Life Center was a winner despite the original ruckus. The property was damaged by a tornado in 2002, and the government ended up repaying the center over $42 million in compensation and legal costs over the failed expansion. Today, they are called, quote, the Nobbies, end quote, still offering guests a view on the fur seal ecotourist trade, but this time via digital remote cameras. Armstrong ended up becoming the owner of this newly dead shark that had come off the Lucan tuna boats. But in the end, he decided that a dead animal wouldn't really work with the themes of the Seal Rock Center. Ultimately, Rosie the Shark was either permanently or temporarily transferred into the care of the giant earthworm museum in Bass, Australia. Now, this necessitated a trip of over 900 miles for the two-ton shark. Not an easy task. Max Bryant, then responsible for procuring the shark in the first place, is quoted as saying, quote, it was a hell of a task, end quote. The shark was frozen at the Lucan Tuna business near Port Lincoln, where it sat while a custom-built 20-foot steel frame was made to transport it. The logistics didn't stop there. The truck driving Rosie was impounded by the South Australian government as the truck crossed the Victorian border. At the time, a local woman had gone missing on the beach, and they were reportedly worried that she might be inside the shark. So Rosie was then detoured to the South Australian Museum in Adelaide. She was defrosted and dissected, though only her stomach was removed from her body. The missing woman was not found inside the shark. What did happen was that they decided not to refreeze Rosie. Instead, she was placed in a tank of formaldehyde and left to cure for several months. Rosie's tank is also known as a vitrine, which means glass display case. Rosie's vitrine was made out of glass and heavy-duty steel, and it was filled with the preservation agent formaldehyde. One of Rosie's later owners, Chris Cohen, says that this preservation likely cost somewhere in the range of $250,000. If this seems like a wild number to you, let's stop and consider Damien Hurst. Now, who is Damien Hurst? You'll often see Damien Hurst's name dropped when reading about Rosie the Shark, and for good reason. Hurst is a British contemporary artist who dominated the British art scene in the 1990s and he's reportedly the UK's richest living artist. Hearst's works are about the central theme of death. He's most well-known for his 1991 piece, The Physical Impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living. Now, this contemporary work of art is a tiger shark preserved in formaldehyde in a vitrine. If you were not previously aware of the confluence between Hearst and Rosie the Shark— you may now be having a galaxy brain moment. The New York Times described the work thusly, quote, In keeping with the piece's title, the shark is simultaneously life and death incarnate in a way you don't quite grasp until you see it, suspended and silent, in its tank. It gives the innately demonic urge to live a demonic, death-like form, end quote. In later years, Hearst continued to explore the theme of death, responding to the physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living, as well with his new pair of works, Death Explained and Death Denied. 
Death Explained is a tiger shark that's been bisected longitudinally, and Death Denied is a similarly sized shark, still whole, positioned next to the first work. And together these pieces make up a pair of works that Hearst named, quote, coming to terms with and trying to understand the complexity of the feelings and ever-changing fears and doubts that every human being experiences when faced every moment with the unfathomable uncertainties of death, end quote. Hearst's work has sold for astronomical figures, making the exorbitant costs of the materials seem paltry in comparison. It's been said that the original 1991 artwork cost somewhere around 50,000 pounds, roughly 65,000 U.S. dollars. And the replacement artwork, done in 2006, cost over 100,000 pounds just for the formaldehyde process alone. Replacement artwork? Yep, Hearst's original shark in formaldehyde began to decay and grow opaque which might seem a little familiar. Damien Hurst's Kingdom, yet another shark in formaldehyde work, sold for 9.6 million pounds. If you like Rosie the Shark, you should check out Damien Hurst. So back to Rosie. After a jaunt in her formaldehyde spa, which was not really a back-to-tank, Rosie the Shark eventually made it to her new home the Wildlife Wonderland, featuring the Giant Earthworm Museum. Now, this small park was created by John Matthews in the mid-1980s and was purchased by Robert Jones and Chris Cohen in the early 2000s. Gippsland, east of Melbourne and in the area where the museum is located, is the native home to the giant Gippsland earthworm. These worms average 3 feet long and can reach up to 10 feet long. The museum was created to promote the giant worm, and the main building itself was shaped like a worm. Visitors were invited to crawl through an oversized replica of a worm burrow and a worm stomach. Other attractions, including a small movie theater, other live animals, and Rosie the Shark, were second fiddle to the giant worm. Now, a common thread among the recollections of visitors from the early 2000s is that Rosie the Shark left little impression, while the giant worms, the wombats, the koalas were all much more memorable. Robert Jones, a co-owner of the park, described her as, quote, ultimately underwhelming, end quote, just another object after the initial curiosity. The park did well with visitors who were heading from Melbourne out to the popular Phillip Island. Tourists They loved the wombats, the koalas, the dingoes, and the peacocks, and could take or leave Rosie. Now, apparently in a generous mood after Rosie had been dropped off with the earthworms, Ken Armstrong, Rosie's original owner, had apparently made a promise, promising that he would give Rosie to the Melbourne Museum. Remember, she was only temporarily housed at the Wildlife Wonderland. So a small legal battle ensued the Melbourne Museum was reportedly very eager to acquire her. The then-director of the museum's collections described Rosie as, quote, an extremely important specimen for the public, end quote. Robert Jones and Chris Cohen, the new owners of the Wildlife Wonderland, stood firm and ultimately won. Their case apparently all rested on timing. No one disputed that Ken Armstrong had offered Rosie to the Melbourne Museum. 
However, the offer had been made after the park had already been sold to Jones and Cohen, which included, quote, the entirety of its contents, listed and otherwise, end quote. Melbourne Museum parent company spokespeople, when asked recently about Rosie the Shark, said, a bit snootily, that they, quote, investigated the acquisition of this specimen some time ago, but the decision was made not to acquire the object due to its poor condition, end quote. However, museum staff were reportedly frequent visitors to the shark exhibit at the Wildlife Wonderland, despite their statements. Rosie the shark was not an easy occupant of the Wildlife Wonderland. She had an admissions price tag of zero dollars, which was nice for visitors, but not really great for the pocketbook. A concrete bunker pool was built underneath Rosie's vitrine, with the purpose of capturing any formaldehyde if necessary. The fluid had to be continually topped off and filtered in order to avoid becoming cloudy. The daily monitoring of Rosie was neither free nor cheap. And Rosie herself was a challenge. She required the roof of the building to be removed so that she could be placed in her new vitrine by crane. John Matthews, the original owner of Wildlife Wonderland, estimated that it could have cost over 500,000 pounds to prepare and maintain the Rosie the Shark display. The investment did pay off, at least initially. The park received over 350,000 visitors per year in the early 2000s, with many saying that they came to visit because of Rosie the Shark. The Wildlife Wonderland Park operated for several more years. Visitors of all ages still describe their many positive memories associated with this place, but under the surface, all was not rosy. In 2006, Jones and Cohen had a falling out. Jones sold his part in the business, and Cohen continued to run the park with two other investors. The government upgraded and expanded the M420 highway nearby, but did not add a turnoff for the park. So traffic dwindled because, without a convenient exit, tourists were going to continue on to the popular tourist destination of Phillip Island. Cohen described the park as, quote, already in decline, end quote, when he sold it in 2011. The park reportedly quickly fell into neglect. The day-to-day managers and operators had a um, very casual relationship with both maintenance and paperwork. The government noticed in 2012, citing the Wildlife Wonderland for violating the Wildlife 1975 rule, displaying animals without a license. The Wildlife Wonderland Park was shut down. The 130 live animals were put into control of the Department of Sustainability and the Environment. The live animals departed, but Rosie the Shark remained. It's mind-blowing that no one took away Rosie, not even the Melbourne Museum, which had been so interested before. Perhaps it was the expense of relocating her? Perhaps it was the challenge of finding a new site to host her? Perhaps it was her condition? As epitomized by the David Hurst sharks, vitrines full of dead animal and formaldehyde can be an expensive operation. The park began, or perhaps continued, to fall into disrepair. The sudden closure of the park left much of the material on site to decay, including signs, pictures, displays, and games. 
and of course, Rosie the shark. Soon after the closure, Tom Capitane, among other interested parties, visited the former Wildlife Wonderland site with the option of redeveloping the park. Now, they of course saw Rosie the shark at the time of the visit. The park redevelopment was ultimately not viable and didn't proceed any further, and they were unable at that time to do anything to save Rosie. Without any immediate plans for redevelopment, the former wildlife wonderland became a haven for squatters and vandals and casual urbexers. After the closure of the park in the early years, word of the shark in the vitrine was whispered, hush-hush, from person to person. People in the urbex community kept this sort of fact close to the chest, as it were, and the knowledge wasn't passed along unless the recipient was deemed worthy. In December of 2014, a post on Reddit attracted some attention, sharing an artistic image from Flickr user Murdoch80. It was black and white, with the shark in profile, head on the right, fins up, tail proud and tall on the left. Ghostly light seemed to filter through, and the reflections on the vitrine made the shark look unearthly, glowing, yet almost transparent. And you can even see a broom or a pole or something in the background behind the vitrine, and the juxtaposition of something so ordinary with something so unusual was very unsettling, to say the least. Beyond this, internet rumor about Rosie was pretty quiet. The silence surrounding her in the digital space made any tidbits that much creepier, that much more eerie. Like Steven Spielberg had discussed in the context of Jaws, the idea of the shark is a lot scarier than actually seeing it, because you have to build it up in your own mind. On November 3rd, 2018, an Australian urbex YouTuber, Lukey MC, posted a video with the title, quote, Abandoned Australian Wildlife Park Decaying Left to Rot, end quote. Burying the lead, a little bit. The video shows the moments we described at the top of the episode, with the discovery of Rosie the shark in her tank, amidst other fairly prosaic abandoned place videography. But for some reason, this hit a nerve on the internet, and Lukey MC's video became a viral sensation, picking up the YouTube hits, and then picking up the media outlet coverage. It is by far his most popular video, with over 12 million views as of the time of this recording. Now, copycat and amateur urbexers quickly caught the rosy fever, inspired by Luke EMC's video. New exploration videos went up that more or less followed the same pattern. A bit of pretend interest in the wildlife park, a long focus on the shark, and a little bit of commentary about the smell. You see... Vandals, too, had caught the rosy fever. If you view the videos chronologically, you can see the pattern of vandalism as you watch the videos. The lid to Rosie's vitrine was pried off, and items were thrown into the tank. A TV, CDs, a chair, bolt cutters. Two panels of the glass on the vitrine itself had something heavy thrown at them, shattering the tank into a delicate spiderweb in those places. And with the lid off, the formaldehyde began to evaporate. Rosie's dorsal fin became exposed. And again, the smell. When Damien Hurst was repairing his famed piece of art in 2006, 
The New York Times writer Carol Vogel described the process, saying that, quote, So toxic was the air that the property could be reached only through security-coded iron gates, and no one, not even the artist, was allowed near the shark without protective gear. End quote. Yet here we have a similar scenario in an unlocked shed in an abandoned theme park in South Australia. Like I said, everyone mentioned the smell. The smell of formaldehyde is potent and obviously toxic. Yet here are all these inexperienced folks moseying on down to see the shark. Some reports describe the police needing to visit the property four times per shift to chase away all these people. The property owner quickly recognized the liability issues, and he made plans to destroy Rosie the Shark at the local landfill. Numerous campaigns spread across the internet, television, and radio, and these caught the attention of Sharon Williamson, part of the Australian Animal Rescue, and one of the people who had investigated redevelopment of the park right after it closed. And she got in touch with Thomas Capitane. Now, Tom is a collector, a museum owner. He opened Crystal World and Prehistoric Journeys in Devon Meadows, Australia, about an hour away from the Wildlife Wonderland, a museum as a place to source interesting natural history specimens that he'd found. There, they have the largest collection of fossils on display in the Southern Hemisphere. And Tom also serves as one of the directors for the National Dinosaur Museum in Canberra. At the last minute, the owner of the Wildlife Wonderland property got in touch and agreed to donate Rosie the Shark to Crystal World, including the removal and transportation costs. The toxic formaldehyde was pumped out. Rosie lay awkwardly on one side in the tank, surrounded by rubbish and debris. Her skin was a wrinkled dark brown, her eyes wide and flat and very unsettling, and her mouth wide open, gums visible, gaping with sharp, sharp teeth. The roof was removed from the shed that she had called home for the last 15 or so years, and a crane was called in. Rosie the shark and her vandalized tank were removed from Wildlife Wonderland and driven on the back of a truck the hour up to Devon Meadows. By this point in early 2019, the social media coverage on Rosie the shark was overwhelming. Several Facebook pages and groups had been made, each with differing degrees of officiality. The entire process of moving Rosie has been filmed and will be made into a documentary. Described on the GoFundMe page and shown in a personally narrated video on his own Rosie the Shark page, owner Tom Capitane has reasonable goals for Rosie the Shark, with a cost for restoration estimated at about $100,000. The first step was, of course, to remove the formaldehyde and then neutralize any remaining formaldehyde on Rosie or her vitrine. Now, the tank needed repairs, not only for the shattered glass, but for the rusting steel frame. And after repairing any damage to Rosie herself, she's got to be re-immersed, not in formaldehyde this time, but in glycerin. Costs for the glycerin alone are estimated between $30,000 and $50,000. As her tank has been slowly refilled, the cost of each portion of glycerin is marked on the side of the tank in a marker. And the glycerin added to date has really rejuvenated the look of Rosie, plumping her out a bit, and she now sits on a gleaming layer of pink rose quartz. Informational displays have been added around Rosie's tank, sitting out to one side of a back lot at Crystal World. 
Her ultimate home will be inside a new show building that has yet to be built. It is clear that Tom Capitane is treating Rosie the Shark with the utmost respect. On his Rosie the Shark page, facebook.com backslash Rosie the Shark, Tom and his team have started posting regular videos updating fans on the happenings with Rosie and describing the challenges of preserving her. Rosie's story after her death has been at turns sad and fascinating, and it is heartwarming to know that Rosie is now safe from vandalism and is in the process of being saved and restored. At Crystal World, the licensed display an animal is prominently posted next to Rosie's tail fins. Visitors can come to see Rosie for free at Crystal World, any day except Christmas. That original, most eerie and unsettling of images, Rosie the Shark, floating in a murky vitrine, has become prosaic, normal, just another object for the background of a tourist selfie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Abandoned Carousel, where I told you the story of Rosie the Shark, the viral sensation in Australia. You can find show notes, photos, and links at my website, theabandonedcarousel.com. Remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcatcher. Maybe you'd like to leave us a review. And please tell a friend. I'd love to hear your stories about Rosie. Email me, hello at theabandonedcarousel.com, or get in touch. I'm at carouselabandon, A-B-A-N-D-O-N, on Twitter, and at theabandonedcarousel everywhere else. I'll be back next week with another great episode, so I'll see you then. As Lucy Maud Montgomery once said, nothing is ever really lost to us as long as we remember it. <laughs> <laughs>